0: It's Wednesday, August fourteenth. Welcome to Market Folly. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, and from Oracle Asset Management, Tim Hansen. Two days in a row, we're yeah. back <laughs> because we were choices number one and two. Yeah, the, the D-listers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No wait, back by popular demand. The <laughs> listeners have spoken. Did we get any emails yesterday? Uh, we, we from did, our dozens of listeners. We actually did get an email. Oh, I got, okay. I, well, I got an email. An email. Okay. I got an email last night from one of our listeners. Uh, you know what? We'll get to the stories. Okay. Soon. I got an email from one of our listeners uh, uh, saying, can't believe you guys didn't talk about the Hyperloop. Elon Musk, the Hyperloop. I can't believe you guys- We should have talked about the Hyperloop. Please, yeah. will you talk about it? Pretty please, will you talk about it? That's way more exciting than anything we got on today. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> We're going to talk some earnings today. We're going to talk uh, Apple- um, and uh, why shares are on the rise this week is, um, is
1: one our typical email to podcast ratio.
0: Um, I, I think that's probably fair in terms of comments. Now that we're starting to get more comments on Market Foolery, it's actually ticking up. We're getting oh, okay. more people commenting on Twitter. So uh, our E to C ratio is expanding. Our e to, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. um, you know what? Let's talk. Let's let's break format here before we get to the earnings. Let's talk Hyperloop because honestly, I I saw the email and I thought. Why didn't we talk about the Hyperloop? I said this to you, Charlie. It didn't even occur to me to talk about the Hyperloop. For those who may not know, this is Elon Musk, the CEO of of Tesla Motors, Um, has this idea for a transportation system which is high-speed rail. I'm not sure, but it's basically, we'll get you from Los Angeles to San Francisco in... You know, forty it's minutes, like
1: a near vacuum in a tube. Yeah. So there's no friction, and then just kind of
0: zaps you. We're, yeah, it's it's like yeah. something out of the Jetsons, but it's essentially what would be. What's the flight from LA to San Francisco? That's a couple hours, I think.
1: I think it's I think it's like ninety minutes, two hours. Okay, or so like, like you that.
0: know, ninety minutes or so. This is going to yeah. be like forty-five minutes.
1: But, yeah, well, yeah, when you got security, oh, you probably need security on the Hyperloop.
0: Yeah. But I also, but and I said this, to you tried. The main reason it didn't even occur to me to talk about this is this is just an idea in his head. This is an interesting idea. Well, so is Tesla, but that's worth like twelve billion dollars, right? right. <laughs> but I mean, is is this something that you look at and think in in our lifetime? Uh, no. And the
2: reason is it's it's not the cost, six billion dollars. I mean somebody could come up with that. It's crossing nine hundred miles of California, all the permitting required, uh going through you know, they say they could go up the interstate. Uh, I don't believe it. I think there's too many vested interests against doing this. Uh, and why would you even need to spend so much money building something when you could fly from LA to San Francisco for what, two hundred dollars? to save half an hour on your time? I don't I don't think it's a really good idea.
1: I think Charlie's think thinking small here. Yeah but <laughs> I don't you know I don't Long term, who know? I mean, it could you know, traffic obviously is a mess. Airports are a sure. mess. A lot of those airports are really crowded. Flights are delayed, even though the flight time absolute like try to flying from D.C. to New York, it's it's hellacious. I mean, it's supposed to be an hour flight, but you spend like an hour and a half sitting on the tarmac at LaGuardia or Newark because there's too much congestion, right? So right. Uh, we're probably the country's probably in the market for some interesting. Transportation solutions. Who, who knows if it gets done? I, I like the fact that he's starting a debate. I do think there are two investing points around the Hyperloop, which which are potentially interesting. One is that Musk now has what three companies? Yeah. So, right. so when he has a great idea, generally speaking, his his modus operandi has been to start a new company for that idea rather than have Elon Musk incorporated. And I think that's relevant because if you're looking at Tesla uh, and you you say, oh, you know, we're getting this electric car company with the optionality of whatever Elon Musk comes up with. No, that's not necessarily true because the Hyperloop, to the extent it would become its own company, would be like Hyperloop Inc. Yep. next to SpaceX or Tesla. So I think that's why people need to sort of temper their expectations of, expectations about what Elon Musk is going to do at Tesla. Right. I think the blueprint is there, it, and arguably, it's going to be a, 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 could arguably be a f- fabulous company over many years. But it's not like say Google, where they have g- got Google X. And all the sort of harebrained schemes they're working on are in Google. Right. And so if you're saying, oh, they've got core search, generating cash, and then I think they deserve another premium on top of that because they're doing all this wacky stuff at Google X, like Wi-Fi from parachutes or driverless cars or whatnot, that's all in Google. And so you can sort of make that argument a little more logically. And I think that's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. And uh, you just reminded me, uh, your colleague down at Motley Fool Asset Management, Tony Arsta, he was at a conference earlier this year. There was an executive from Google talking. And when I asked Tony at the time, what was the biggest thing you took away from that presentation? And he said, it was how Google puts the overwhelming majority of its like great resources, both in terms of technology and people, Behind the money makers, behind search, behind right. ads, all of that sort of thing. So when you have, you know, you, you know, when you have harebrained schemes, uh, some of which could be great money makers, but they're all housed under Google. Where are the resources going? They're well, going to where the money is being oh, made. Yeah, go- Whereas I think Google's if they, done a good job. If they set yeah. up a separate company. Although
1: Google X has got some real superstars. You know, I think at Google, once you've been there a while, you earn the right to go work on whatever you want, which is a great way to retain good people and also a good way to come up with you know, sort of new stuff, you know, tier three type growth opportunities. Um, it's funny, I've been running, my, I've been brainwashing my son and, into thinking like, like, he knows the companies <laughs> and behind everything. Like you know, he goes into Whole Foods and he's like, oh, this is John Mackey's store. I was like, was like yes it is. <laughs> and uh, so we were talking about driverless cars one day and this is my new litmus test for, is an idea stupid or not? I run it by, because I've got all sorts of biases. Charlie's cynical, yep. Yep. You know, he's grizzled. <laughs> You know, but you say to my son, you're like, driverless cars. He's like, that's a great idea. People should be working on that, you know, because then you could play with me the whole time we're in the car. And I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. So my son is firmly, and he now knows that Google is working on it. So every time he sees a search engine, he's like, are they done with the driverless car yet? It's like, they're working on it.
0: I know that's the plus side, but. uh, We are way off script. We are way off (laughs) script. We'll we'll get back on script in a minute, but, but on the flip side. Uh, your son has also changed your thinking with respect to uh, a musical artist that you previously enjoyed a great deal. Can you just share that real quick? Going f- farther <laughs> afield, um, yeah. So we've we, you know,
1: we got the MP3 player plugged into the car, and it is on random. And so um, we were listening to – well, the song that was on before, so my son was really into it because um, if you watch Yo Gabba Gabba, which is like this dance party kids show uh-huh. on Nick Jr., which is actually kind of a fun show, um, I, which I now like because they bring on legitimate bands to do kids songs. And so I, I'm hooked on this. There's this reggae band from California called the Agrilites, and they do a song called Banana for Yo Gabba Gabba, which is just a very good song. If you got kids, you probably like it. So my son, we had Banana, Banana was on. So my son's really tuned in to the MP3, to, to the music in the car. And then Tom Waits comes on. And, and, uh, and for,
0: for those who may not know, Tom Waits' very distinct voice, very gravelly, very yes. gravelly voice uh, singer.
1: And so he starts, uh, he starts singing this song about about springtime, and and my son's listening, and he goes, "Wait a second, is it is this Cookie Monster?" <laughs> so no, no, this is this is a man called Tom Waits, and he goes, well, I, I like Tom Waits. He sounds like Cookie Monster." Yes, he does a little bit, <laughs> and it's, over it's ruined for, for me now. And now. Yeah, it's all every time money. I hear him.
0: All right, let's get to the earnings. Um, shares of Macy's down a little bit this morning. They missed on second quarter profits. Uh, Charlie, we talked about Macy's yesterday. You were saying, uh, you know, this is a company that's really done well. It's a, it is a strong operator, uh, and and one of the narratives this morning is sort of this uh, chilling effect in the retail industry where people are saying, wait a minute. Macy's is a strong operator, and if they're struggling and if they're missing, what does that mean for others? So there's there's a little bit of a, a panic being set off by Macy's re- results, but first, what did you make of the quarter?
2: Can I take back what I said yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you may not. No, I may not. Uh, I should
0: have quibbled with you
1: yesterday. Yeah. You're like, you know, Sachs or Macy's. Like, Well, Sachs yeah. is a little bit better, but yeah. Yeah. it is what it
2: is. So their, their comps were down 0.8%, which is not – terrible. I mean, we've seen much worse in retail, but it's not great. Uh, They're keeping their guidance for the year at uh, comps of 25 to 4%, which for a company that's not actually building new stores is about all you can really expect uh, from some price increases, changing the mix up a little bit. So that's reasonable. Uh, They brought down their earnings guidance for the year by 2%, and and I think that's why the stock is selling off a bit. Um, Frankly, you know, I think there's some long-term challenges here. I think they are good with their capital allocation. They do a good job uh, buying back the stock opportunistically and paying out a dividend. Uh, But I think the long-term thesis is against big-box retail. Um, You know, so I I do think they do well with what they have. I think they do right by shareholders. Um, But I am a little nervous, say, taking a 10-year outlook that – while they're generating a lot of cash today, uh, they could end up in the same boat that like a Sears or a JCPenney is down the road. Uh, and one of the reasons um, coming around to that is it looks like they're under-investing in their stores by quite a bit, which is a great way to juice cash to shareholders today. Uh, it's, but it's also a good way to end up with stores that nobody wants to go into uh, way down the road. Um, so I, th- I think it's a mixed bag overall is where I'm coming down on this.
0: We talked a little bit yesterday about the notion of general retail versus more specific retail, but even in the space of general retail, doesn't there have to be one winner, or or is it just well, an industry that that, it, that <laughs> even if there is one winner, that winner is going to struggle? I
1: mean, there, there, there's some good retailers in the multi brand space, but you know. There there are a variety of challenges ahead of those multi-brand retailers. You know, one is obviously the Internet. You know, but the other, I think the other one that maybe goes overlooked, um, you know, in some ways retail sales are a vacuum, right? The world is only going to spend so much every year on new clothes. And if you look at what retailers who are fashion manufacturers and fashion designers, you know, these are companies like um, Louis Vuitton, uh, Hermes, Todd's, Coach, uh, you know, previously a lot of those companies would only sell into wholesale multi-brand channels. And then they realized that, you know, Michael Kors is probably an example here as well. You know, they they started, if you start reading what all those companies' strategies are over the next 10 years, it's to open more and more of their own stores, you know, their direct own stores. And so now in the mall, instead of going to Saks or Macy's to get your coach bag and your Todd's loafers and whatnot, you know, down the aisle, arguably or down the hall the corridor will be a- you know a single brand store right and they'll probably have a better selection or they'll have more unique products um, and they're probably better at managing their inventory because they've got you know more concentrated inventory to manage um, and so I think that you know that's a challenge for multi brand retailers that has been overlooked where whereas luxury spending is coming back very strongly around the world, especially in the United states but it's It's a lot of it is going back into these direct owned stores that have been built out over the past five years.
0: I also think that part and parcel of the of the challenge is the people who are working in these stores and just their knowledge level of the items because a person working in a coach store, the average person working there, is going to know more about coach products than, than yeah. someone who works in a Macy's or a Kohl's or whatever, who is going to know about so many uh, other different brands. So, just, you know, when, when a clueless person like me walks in with questions, as I almost always do anytime I'm looking to buy something, I'm more likely to get help uh, when I go into one of those specialty locations. Um, when you look at the guidance, Charlie, when you, when you think in terms of Macy's and others in the retail industry, um any thoughts as we head into the uh, the back half of 2013 here in terms of um either signposts of what of what the uh the holiday is going to look like for these retailers or is there anything in particular that you're watching I'm always a little wary when a
2: company says the second half of our year is going to be better than the first. Uh, so they kept, you know, for them to hit three percent comps for the year, uh, they're going to have to do better than that, given where they've started the year so far. Christmas is in December, though. It is. It is. I mean, that is true. <laughs> I read to I, you, but know, it I read it, you know, Christmas in December the last year, year too. That's true. <laughs>
1: that true.
0: That is true. Uh, uh, deer reported and uh, profits. We were talking about this before i'm a little amazed by this profit's up twenty seven percent they're just shy of one billion dollars, which is a record for them um, booming activity in north and South America, and yet shares are down um, whether it's about deer specifically or about sort of south america and and sort of the um the environment down there Tim uh, what can you share about sort of because uh, when I think deer, I automatically think. I I automatically put it in that category of like a caterpillar of just like big macro indicators. Does this tell you anything about uh, South America and the the macro economy down there? Well, I mean,
1: it was a a good quarter. It it should be a good quarter. Um, You know, commodity prices have been strong for the most part. Farmers are feeling pretty good. I think there's been capital investment in in a lot of the, you know, uh, vehicles and machinery and equipment that deer sells. You know, what the stock's doing today relative to the results is just a function of the fact. And this is probably true. You know, you could pluck a name out of a hat and I'd probably say this. It's like, look, stock market's up, stock market's up a lot this year. Yeah. You know, the easy money is gone. You know, companies are going to have to make tremendous, you know, tremendous strides um, going forward to, to either justify current valuations or um, – or you know have their stocks go up sharply and 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 farther, so you know I think that's the case with deer. You know I think they've they've done a lot of good things. You know I think the you know the market for food um, will continue to be very strong. World population, I mean, it's a very simple equation: right? world population is going up, demand for protein is going up, protein consumes more. You know, uh, is a, a less efficient food source, say, than than eating grain directly. Um, so those things point to higher commodity prices, arable land. Acreage is probably is shrinking, um, so I mean that it's it's a nice place to be. Latin America is going to keep increasing trade with China and Asia, and that's a nice place to be. But like I said, stocks are up a lot this year, and whenever that happens, you know it's an expectation game.
0: I don't own shares of Deer, and it's not necessarily a stock I'm looking to add to my portfolio. But one of the things I always think about Deer is it just strikes me as one of those brands that seems really strong, and I'm just wondering if that's just my imagination. Oh, no, it's a monster. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking of stocks moving up, uh, Apple is up more than 6% uh, just from yesterday and even just the the brief time the market's been open today. And that is uh, due to the reports that Carl Icahn, uh, activist investor, yesterday it was Bill Ackman, today it's Carl Icahn, uh, has bought uh, what he has called a large position. And he's pushing Tim Cook for a larger buyback plan I don't know. I don't think
1: it's a larger buyback plan. I think he said, I want the buyback plan you've announced to all happen now, below $500 a share. Oh, really? I think that's what he said. And
2: borrow money to do it.
1: Yeah, and do whatever it takes to make it happen now, because it it would be so accretive to your earnings per share going forward, to buy it all back now, rather than space it out gradually over the next few
0: years. But didn't they really – very recently, they – took care of a huge chunk of their... Buyout.
2: About $2 billion a quarter, yeah. which, for how big they are, really isn't a whole lot.
1: Well, it's a four, what $450 billion right. market. I yeah. mean, and it's funny. It's kind of funny in some ways. I think Carl Icahn said he owns 1.5 billion shares. If you're Tim Cook, you're sort of like, yeah, call me when you've got 20 billion shares. <laughs> You know, frankly, I don't really need to listen to you. He's, so, you
0: know, and yet he's already sp- he says he's already spoken to Tim Cook. He's already had a conversation with him, pushing him for the larger buyback, and he plans to call him again. So, I mean, at least it seems like Cook is not adopting the stance that you. Just- no, no, no. <laughs> i
1: He's probably. Be- he's being. He's being cordial about it. Yeah. which is fair. I think it's important to listen to your shareholders. To the you know, can Carl Icahn wield enough influence for the 1.5 billion dollar stake and get enough votes lined up to agitate for, you know seats on a board or hell. you know, heck no.
2: So this is my concern, uh, and we talked about this when Tim Cook uh, first took the job, was that Apple is going to be a financial engineering story, and not mm-hmm. as much about it, innovation and delighting its customer story. And I think we've, I mean, the, the crescendo of uh, large shareholders telling Apple what to do with its money uh, just seems to be getting louder and louder, and uh, share, buy- share buybacks by themselves are not really uh, necessarily going to increase the value of Apple stock in the long run. Uh, and I pulled uh, an example from tech, which was Microsoft. Over the last decade, they've spent 120 billion dollars buying back their stock, uh, and basically have nothing to show for it on their share price. Uh, and you know, just to say Apple should buy back 150 billion dollars, I think was the number Icon was throwing around, uh, might not necessarily do anything. Uh, and I think where, especially when you're looking at what's happening to them in the phone market, where their share just keeps sliding quarter after right. quarter to Android, uh, and their ASPs are coming down on the phone as well. Uh, and I, I think that should be the focus of investors and not necessarily what they're doing with the balance sheet. Though I do agree with, uh, you know, Tim, if you buy back your stock when it's undervalued, you're certainly creating value. But oh, that's, I mean, that's not yeah. my argument. That's icons. icons. Are, yeah, yeah. I,
1: I mean, I, I agree with Charlie in the sense that investors, I hope Apple management is not spending as much time thinking about their cash pile as investors seem to be. Right. Because, frankly, you know, that's a, that's a 12-month opportunity, right? And, and a 10-year opportunity for Apple is to continue designing and manufacturing great products that delight people. And, you know, they've ostensibly got the new iPhone coming out soon. Um, you know, and, and you don't see, and nor should they, Carl Icahn or David Einhorn passing along ideas about, you know, what should be the next new right. new thing. But in terms of value creation, long term for the company, you know, how does Apple stock double from here? Right. You know, that's that's what's going to make that happen. I mean, that's where the real money is for long term shareholders. You know, Carl Icahn probably. You know, he's in this for a. I mean, Carl Icahn is not a very long term investor. He's an activist. Right. He's, he comes in, pushes for some efficiency. He's had some successes. Um, you know, more power to him. But you know, I I, I, I hope that, that Tim Cook's not spending a lot of time on this. And I, I hope that Johnny Ive and those the guys who are on the you know on the ground floor of the design part of the business are spending no time thinking about this. Right, because
2: nobody's coming to Google and saying take your war chest and start buying back your stock or do all these uh, crazy things. Right, because they're just killing it right now on uh, you know with what they're doing on their product
0: side. If you are an Apple shareholder, you're having a good week, and you can point to Carl Icahn and give him all the credit if you want that shares are up six seven percent just in the past week. But I am curious what you guys think, not necessarily of Carl Icahn, but when you wake up and you see the news that an activist investor, whoever he or she may be, has taken a position in a company that you own.
1: It's not Bill Ackman, is it? Uh, Well, I mean, (laughs) that's my question. How
0: do you guys individually view activist investors when it is a stock that you own. Or it's, hey, they're thinking about buying a stock that you own. Does it depend on who it is? Is it something that you just sort of make a mental note of and you don't really care all that much because you're much more focused on what the business is doing rather than what this investor is going to be rattling uh, cages for? But I'll just start with you, Tim. Well, I mean, I've ne-
1: I- I've never built a thesis around the idea that an activist investor would show up and, and do it, right, and be do- – be a catalyst in and of itself. You know, having said that, you know, we've discussed Yahoo at length in the past in this forum and how the Alibaba stake was worth, you know, a, a significant amount of money. And you know, it was a pick at MDP right. in in the past, but you know, f- you know, the problem with that thesis was that we you know as a retail investor or a small investor, you have that idea. And it's really up to management to decide that they're going to monetize it in the right way. But then when Dan Loeb shows up, there's a catalyst you know the 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 value was in the alibaba stake but then it took it did take some pressure to get that management team to actually realize right. the value so in that sense he was he was helpful um you know in the case of of managing apple's cash hoard i, I don't think like i said i don't think it's it shouldn't be your investing thesis that apple is going to institute a larger dividend or do a massive repurchase i think your investing thesis is that you know apple has a great brand they have a mode around their brand and Innovation will have fits and starts, but at the end of the day, I do expect the culture of innovation that Steve Jobs built to continue to flourish for many, many more years. Um, you know, the activists who are coming in now—that's not really their idea. Uh, I think that that will be—it will be, could be a short-term bump, um, you know. But you know, the Buffett idea that in the in the short term the market's a voting machine, and in the long term it's a weighing machine. You know, a lot of those activists aren't going to be around in the long term. You know, but there was a recent study that said. That activists have been creating have historically created more value than they've destroyed, um, which every activist grabbed onto and like, (laughs) hey, we're worth our two and twenty. Yeah, Yeah, probably not, but um, you know it shouldn't be your thesis. If they show up and you and they agree with the reason you're in the stock and they're going to agitate for them, there's no reason not to vote your shares. You know, with them. You know, whether it's removing a director like the guy at Occidental Petroleum or whether it's um, you know, this Dell thing, I think a lot of people thought Dell was cheap and probably feel fleeced by the buyout. And it's nice to have an advocate on your side because, you know, God knows there are there are many, many, many CEOs and boards of directors in this country who seemingly do not care a lick about their retail shareholder and base. I'll,
2: I'll give yeah. a good example is uh, Chesapeake Energy, yeah. where activists coming in and getting rid of Aubrey McClendon was probably to the benefit of all shareholders – Uh, So I think you do have cases like that where they can come in, uh, get rid of some management that's not really doing a great job. Uh, But other cases is uh, like Ackman with Penny, where it's just disruptive and the plan isn't good. Uh, The the long-term focus really isn't there,
0: and you're probably not going to come out ahead. You can follow us on Twitter, at MarketFoolery is our handle. Uh, We've got a tweet from James Sheets, who wrote to us, the bacon bar what could be wrong with this idea? And the answer, of course, is nothing. Um, but he he pointed us to a story about a new restaurant opening in Chicago next week called Burke's Bacon Bar, and it's a sandwich shop featuring four types of bacon. And Charlie, I don't know if you read this, but I'm uh, just curious your thoughts on this. Here are the four types of bacon. Benton's Tennessee Bacon, Matilda Cured Bacon, Ranch Pepper Bacon, and something that is referred to as angry bacon.
2: I'd be curious about the angry bacon. Yeah, that, is that, that was that, is that was mud like, f- peppers
1: in it or something? I guess. I don't know. There was an article in the journal, like in the, the column four, uh I think it's column four where they always do the kind of the quirky story. Yeah. About there's a dispute happening, I believe I believe it's San Francisco. Could be wrong. There was a guy who opened a bacon takeout place where like you, you ordered a just a cone of bacon. Yeah. And uh it became very popular. But the neighbors shut it down.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because,
1: we, he, I, I don't know, the, the, the smell of the smoke and the rendering. Mm-hmm. Of the, the, yeah, the, yeah. We so now there's a, big, there's a big fight. It had been a food truck that then became a physical store. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think the concept was great. More bacon. The world would be a happier place. Not, think, not the Middle East, but the rest <laughs> of the world.
0: <laughs> uh, you travel from time to time uh, for work. Uh, any trips to Chicago in your
1: future? Uh, do I have a trip to Chicago in my future? I don't, not on not on the docket right now. But
0: could, it's an, it's a pretty easy flight. Charlie, the million dollar portfolio reopen is happening right now. It is. And people can uh, find out more information on fool. dot com. But hey, uh, when that's over, maybe uh, maybe an event because MDP does events from time to time. Maybe a Chicago event. We we get out there. I love
2: Chicago. Big fan.
0: <laughs> it's <a good> town. <laughs> Burke's Bacon Bar. We will be there. Tim Hansen, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Rick Engdahl helping us out behind the glass today. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.